Today's podcast, we'll talk about a shorter season from Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, and why the season's actually been very short for a lot of the best players in the league already. George Niang of the Philadelphia 76ers, a little story time with him, spent time with the Warriors, got cut uh, almost out of the league, found his way through Utah and Philly, also his thoughts on the Celtics turnaround and who he likes in the finals and life advice. This episode is presented to you by Lululemon. The perfect pants do exist, and you can get them at Lululemon. The men's ABC pants are shockingly comfortable and breathable, and they come in tons of different styles and fabrics, all made to make you look and feel good. Whether you're in the office, at the gym, cheering in the stands, or just relaxing at home, these pants are in a league of their own. Buy a pair today at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Royal Caribbean. What are you going to do for your next vacation? Beach, island hopping, hiking, a little culture? Choose Royal Caribbean, and you can go on all the vacations at once. That's the point. You want to go to Greece? How about they get you there? Everywhere else. I've looked at the Alaska packages. Alaska Inside Package, Alaska Experience Cruise, Vancouver, round trip, one way out of Seattle. They have it all. They make it easier for you with adventure at every stop. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Visit royalcaribbean.com to learn more. I want to start today's podcast talking about rest in a shorter NBA season. Adam Silver, just days ago, uh, addressing the media as he does around this time of the year every year, uh, talked about potentially shortening the season. He was asked straight up. And Silver said, quote, I'm not against it. Uh, and I, I thought he made some really good points. But he also felt like, based on last season, he had said, hey, there were 10 fewer games, and we didn't really feel like it was an impact. He said, quote, no impact on injuries. I've talked to teams about this. With all the information that had been flying around the last few years, I think there's been more of a push. I wouldn't say 10 years ago, maybe seven years ago. You know, the Spurs are resting guys. Remember the Warriors resting guys on a on a big uh, Saturday night game. The Heat would rest players. And it kind of felt like everybody's kind of resting players to mess with each other. And then you're starting to think like, all right, I get that each team's goals are more important than anything else, but you also don't want to be a bad business partner. And there were times where it felt like uh, the NBA wasn't a great partner on some of those Saturday night broadcasts. So, some of the Thursday broadcasts, right? Those are your marquee lineup games, uh, Thursday and Saturday during the season when people start tuning in. And like you tune it in and you're like, wait, why are these guys resting? Because it felt like rest had gained a lot of momentum as an argument. And I don't know if that's just social media. Uh, social media is usually a terrible barometer for how everybody really feels, but at least it felt on social media that people were very pro-rest. And of course, the players are pro-rest because guess what? Like if all of us could work less, we would work less. Uh, so I don't really blame him for doing that. Um, but Silver, as he had said, there's really he didn't feel like there was any impact. To be fair, you could counter that and say that last season was condensed. But players, it felt like we're going down left and right during the playoffs, which feels like it's the story of every playoffs. Towards the end, it's really hard to do this and guys go down. Uh, I've also talked to teams about this and saying, have you come up with anything? And they say, you know, a lot of the data just feels like it's not super conclusive. So we're kind of left in this gray area of does a shortened season solve the problem. Richard Jefferson was on ESPN on NBA Today talking about this, and he went off. So I want to share some of that for you. You want to shorten the season? Like, how much more do we have to make this coddling and all of this stuff go with the players? It makes absolutely no sense. Professional sports is not good on your body. It's supposed to separate the people that can do it from the people that can't do it. And while we do want our best product on the floor, part of greatness is longevity. That's what Michael Jordan, that's what that's what Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, that's what LeBron James, all of these guys, we talk about their greatness over a long period of time. 
And to be fair to Jefferson, you know, there's more of a lead up to that. So it wasn't just old player decides to rip current generation, which we've had plenty of. But I think he makes some really good points. And my big point about shortening the season would be this. I went back and looked at this and I didn't make it complicated. And I'll share the numbers with you here in a second. They may say there's 82 games on the schedule. The best players aren't playing 82 games. Most of them are. So in a way, the season has already been shortened by them, but there's not been any legislation passed. So if you go back and look at this, um, and this is kind of crazy, and I wanted to do something simple because you go, who are the best players? Players who score points, right? Who are the stars? The guys that average the most points per game for the most part. I think we could all agree on that without making it more difficult, uh, more difficult, more complicated to get to the exercise. So I just simply went to ESPN.com and said, okay, who are the top 25 leading scores points per game in the 21-22 season? And so it doesn't include qualifying because that's not what I wanted. I wanted the players to score the most points and then tabulate how many total games those top 25 scorers have missed. It's 567 games missed this year from your top 25 scorers in the NBA. That's an average of just under 23 missed games per player in the top 25 scorers list. I couldn't believe it. I, when, I, when I looked at the number, I was like, are you, like, that's crazy. That's almost 25% of the season. It's actually more. Um, so then I go, okay, well, let's go back and look at something. So I went back and looked at 2011, and I looked at the top 25 scores. Like, how many total games did they miss? 170 games an average of just under seven missed games per player in that top 25 list. You're thinking like, okay, Rosillo, that's ancient times. It's 11 years ago because I didn't want to do the other season because it was shortened. So here's the deal. I went back just five years ago. Again, top 25 scores, points per game. They missed on average 6.24 games per player in that top 25 list. So in five years, it went from six games missed to just under 23 games missed. And we're looking at the top 25 scores in this season, too. Like, I'm not suggesting guys just decided to rest for 22.7 games this season. That's not fair. Durant got hurt. Um, you know, Kyrie was a slightly different issue, but it wasn't like he was just resting the whole time. Paul George got hurt. Dame got hurt. You know, Anthony Davis got hurt. Beal ended up having surgery. A lot of these players did actually get hurt. So I'm not suggesting that they missed all this time because they just wanted to take time off. but that's a massive spike from just five years ago. The NBA season is already shorter. There's 82 games. They're just playing less. Now, to counter this, could I say, well, we're on year three of a really weird stretch here because of an interrupted season, an extended season, a shortened season that was crammed, and then a, a season here that started a little bit earlier. But, you know, when I think about some of the arguments around this, I wonder how much people are really paying attention. And it's not like, again, it's not like I feel like all these injuries have been avoided. So what are we really talking about? Now, I don't know too many businesses that want to sell less of their product when their product is being paid for. And with the NBA right now, with the TV rights, we want to look at the escalation of that over the last few years. It's incredible and good, to, good for them. Uh, if you go back to 1998 to 2002, that NBA deal was a total of $615 million. From 2002 to 2008, that deal with ESPN and TNT, once it left NBC, was $765 million. From 2008 to 2016, the deal averaged $930 million for television. And then that was the big ESPN deal with TNT, where in 2016, it was announced that the TV package was going to average about $2.75 billion. All right. So they went ahead and tripled it and people freaked. I was at ESPN at the time. 
Uh, a lot of people are going, what the hell is John Skipper doing? And you know what? He got it right. He was right on this one. He nailed it. And of course, whenever rights fees are paid like this, people start worrying about their jobs. Um, and there were layoffs fairly shortly after that was announced. So the new number that's being rumored is that the total deal that was about $24 billion that's going to expire here uh, in 2025, that the new deal could be worth $75 billion in total. Now, I don't know if that number is real or not. Uh, it's been floated out there for a while. It feels like it could be a little bit like the Scott Boris move where you just float an absurd number where you're like, you know, Bryce Harper is iconic and could be worth a billion dollars. And you're like, man, a billion. And then you get somebody for half a billion dollars and you think you got some kind of discount. And again, Harper didn't make half a billion, but you get the point. He does it all the time. People float the number, the media freaks out. And then you you almost feel like you won because you get to overpay for somebody because you didn't pay as much as the early rumored numbers. So I don't know if 75 billion is going to happen. I don't know if it's a tactic, but we know that the TV rights are going to keep going up because until something else happens, that gets a live audience that can compete with sports. I don't know when the TV rights numbers are going to go down. I'm not rooting for them to go down, by the way, either. I don't like, what do I care? Uh, I hope everybody makes their money, right? And that also means the cap is going to go up. And I don't know if we'll see a smoothing of the cap this time around, opposite of what happened before where there was a cap spike. I don't know the answer to these things. All I do know is that live rights, even if traditional ratings go down, it doesn't matter because if your live rights pie is still mostly sports, it becomes that much more valuable because of so many different ways that we consume television, right? Pretty basic stuff there. Um, the other part of this is that the NBA was dealing with some rating stuff for a little while, right? Uh, I never like looking at ratings year to year and sometimes even in a couple year dip and thinking that you can come to some massive conclusion off of that, right? The NFL was down for a little while. People came up with a million different theories. Turns out none of those theories were impactful enough to really derail what is the NFL rating strength. Uh, and for the NBA right now, this is the most watched playoffs since 2014. All signs point to the NBA doing really well with this deal. Now, why am I bringing up money and all the TV rights? Because that's the whole point of this thing. We can talk about shortening a season, which, as I pointed out here, has already happened with these players. I mean, think about this. There are 20 of 25 players in that top 25 scoring list that have missed more than 10 games. Only two players in 2017 on that top 20 scoring list missed more than 10. So these are the best players. But until the money is screwed up, nothing happens. The money is not getting screwed up. That's why I bring up the ratings. So you can turn on your TV and miss out on your favorite guy. You can buy a ticket and your guy's not playing in that game. But when the rights fee is going up, there's no urgency to really change anything. And I think Silver wants to be protective of that relationship with the players, which is different than the Stern relationship, all right? And I think that's a credit to him, but I also think there are times, too, where people are like, what is going on? But again, when the money is right, and the money is right for these TV deals, I don't know that anyone's really going to care. There's something funny in my business, right, where they'll say, as you get more successful, you get paid more to do less. You know, maybe I don't want to work all summer. Maybe I don't want to do five shows a week. Maybe I don't want to do all these extra things. Although it can seem like times guys in broadcasting do as many different things as they can. But ultimately, there becomes this goal of, is there a way I can find a way to get paid more to work less? And right now, no one in sports gets paid more to do less than the NBA stars. The NBA Finals are here, and so is your chance to score big on FanDuel Sportsbook. Throughout the NBA Finals, FanDuel is giving new customers $200 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first 
$5 bet. Bet the money line, point spreads, player props, and so much more. Plus, you can combine your bets for an even bigger payday with the same game parlay. All right, uh, slight statement issue here. Uh, the player prop for Steph under 8.5 points and then moved to 7.5 points, and he scored 21 in game one in the first quarter. Not just a bad pick. Like, hard to get that one worse. I'm aware. It was unbelievable. I was just like, oh, he's not gonna, he's not gonna sort of ease into it. He's gonna score 21 points in the first quarter. Six of the first eight shots uncontested by Boston's defense. Not quite sure what they were doing there. Uh, here's one that I saw that's actually pretty crazy. Uh, Jason Tatum, eight or more threes in any series game, and the Celtics win the series. That's plus 2,200 as compared to something where Steph gets 35 points in any game and then Golden State wins. Uh, Steph getting 35 or more likely at some point here. You still would have to like Golden State, but that's only plus 165. Where if Tatum hits eight threes and the Celtics win, that's plus 2,200. <laughs> uh, the matchup for this one, Golden State still a slight favorite now on the series, which has certainly changed from it being 0-0. Um, so that's a little bit of movement there and Boston's favorite at home in game three by three and a half. Just sign up with the promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N. And if you haven't tried FanDuel, now is the perfect time to give it a shot because the only thing sweeter than watching the finals is cashing in on all the action. Join today. The promo code is Ryan, R-Y-E-N. And turn a $5 bet into $200 in free bets, win or lose, and make every game feel like game seven with FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel, an official partner of the NBA, must be 21 and older in select states. First online real money wager of at least $5, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is not withdrawable. Free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com forward slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-800-789-7777 or visit slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com forward slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, PA, Virginia, or 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help. Michigan, one 877 Hope, New York, or text Hope, New York, 467-369, New York, Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789, Tennessee, or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net, West Virginia. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. A gentleman always opens the door for you, but the gentlemen are just as likely to break it down and stash their drugs inside. The Gentleman, based on Guy Ritchie's award-winning film, is a new Netflix series that follows a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out and pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman, now playing only on Netflix. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it's been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy, probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time, said, you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I didn't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can 
Talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need. Have coverage options to protect the things you value most. File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did. And even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. People probably don't know this, but George Niang is one of my favorite players. Just a glue guy, makes it happen. He's from Mass, and uh, we have a couple mutual friends. Uh, and he joins us now. I don't know if the, you'll remember this, and I doubt you will. So the weirdest thing about this relationship that we don't really have is that when COVID was just about to start, I went to Salt Lake to go see the Jazz when you were with them play against the Celts. I just decided I was going to go to Park City for a couple of days. I would go, I'll stop in. I'll see the Celtics play Utah. I hadn't been to that Salt Lake arena. It was an awesome time. And then I ended up flying east last minute and then sat next to your buddy, Jerry, the king of Boston, <laughs> on the courtside seats when the Jazz were playing Boston. And he came over, said hello, because I know he was your AAU guy and is a close friend of mine. And then COVID happened. So I had seen like two Jazz games right before this all happened and everything shut down. And then I remember being like, everybody on the Jazz just got this. And we were like, I did kind of the, hey, this is my buddy, fist pump with you. And I was I was like, everybody was freaked out. I was like, now I touched George Niang. I don't know if I'm in trouble now. So I doubt you remember any of that stuff. But it was a very weird time that right towards the end of the shutdown or the beginning of the shutdown, I guess you should say, is I saw the Jazz twice within a week. Yeah, that that was crazy. I mean, I had a bunch of family at that game. So our our brief encounter probably is in, in the back part of my brain. But I remember it a, a little bit only because you were with Jerry. So shout out to the legend. Uh jerry on that one but yeah people were texting me like am i good should i be all right and i remember being in the oklahoma city locker room like sorry but you're the last person i'm worried about right now like i'm worried if i'm going to have COVID or something yeah it was uh it was strange what was that like what was that like in the beginning with all the uncertainty for you oh man it was crazy i mean never in the history of ever would i ever imagine that you know, sports would be put on hold. Like America wouldn't have sports for a period of time. It was the suspense of thinking it was like, I mean, you put it up there with like SARS and like all this, you thought it was like, you know, you watch these movies called quarantine where people like get it and are just dropping like flies. You're like, is that what it's going to be? Cause nobody had any idea. I remember getting back to Utah and like I had a 1100 square foot apartment and, and they were dropping food off outside the door and like I'd open it and they'd be like, it's just it's just a weird experience. And now to know where we are now, it's like, gosh, it's really, it was it was a lot. It was a lot to handle. All right, so let's go back to better stuff here. Uh, and that's this this past season with the Sixers. And you have another year on the deal and everything. Um, the reason I've always liked you is I just feel like you can do kind of what's asked of you. You can do a lot of different stuff. How hard was it for you to kind of figure out what your NBA role would be? Like how you would survive in the NBA as a player? Oh, it was fucking hard, man. Um, I came from Iowa State where, you know, I was allowed to dribble the ball as many times as I want, shoot the ball as many times as I want, play a little less defense as the game went on. Um, And then I got into the NBA and, you know, I was there with Paul George, Monte Ellis, Jeff Teague, where it's like I was never touching the ball. So, you know, one to find a rhythm and one to find a way that you're going to fit. I was used to dribbling seven times and posting guys up and that wasn't cutting it at this level. And I think the best thing for me was getting cut from Indiana to realize that, you know, I really had to dive into, okay, what do these guys do to get on the court? And, uh, you know, I had a solid experience, uh, you know, being in training camp with Steph 
uh, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson with Golden State and Draymond Green. And I literally got to watch how they, you know, prepared every day for practice and their routines. And like every day, 930, it was like Kevin Durant was on the court, you know, diligently working. Then after practice, it was like Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond, like they all had their set times where they were never late. They were always had a routine. And no matter if they were sick, tired, not feeling well, they always went through their routine. So when I went to the G League, you know, that's one thing that I picked up was a routine. Um, and I was lucky enough to end up signing with uh, Utah, where Alex Jensen, who you never know, may be the head coach of Utah here soon. He told me, he's like, I'm going to be working with you this year. And uh, if you want to get on the court, um, you see that corner over there? Um, we're going to work on making threes and then don't let your guy score on you on the other end. All right, run to the corner. Let's get going. And then I just started making corner threes when guys were helping and pick and roll. And you eventually realize that if you can make threes and play a little defense and keep a guy in front of you, it gives you more opportunity to then be able to make plays or in next thing you know, you, you have more minutes. But making threes was the one thing that like kept me in the league, to say the least. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because you were this kind of every toolbox, every tool in the toolbox type of player in college. And, you know, I love the draft and I love watching guys and trying to figure it out. And I'll, I'll see just a lot of players that go, hey, this is kind of cool that he can do this. They'll never run this play for him. Like he'll never, <laughs> they'll never, ever go, hey, you know, let George Isa, let him work from the elbow. Yeah, let him do some of these. You know, somebody, somebody who's kind of similar too is, is Grant Williams now playing for Boston. Like when I watched him at Tennessee, like he initiated a lot of stuff that he did and then he found a way, you know, to, to get to his NBA survival. So do you have, like you still will have these moments where I'll watch and be like, oh, hey, there it is again. Like the play broke yeah. down and you'll create a little and bring it into the paint and then kick out. I'm like, yeah, there it is. Uh, do you feel like deep down, if these guys just let me be the number two option, I could do this? Or you, or do you know that like, hey, corner's, corner's cool? You know, there's just so many like that. The college is such from college to the NBA is such a big jump. And like when I hear guys say like, man, if they just let me have the rock, like da, da, like they don't understand how hard it is to be the guy on an NBA team. Like not only do you have to go score and produce on your own, but when there's double teams, you have to be able to read and make good plays for other people. If they, but if they did let me be the second option, you know, I wouldn't be upset with that, with that to say the least. <laughs> like George, we're tanking this year. Yeah. You were going to have the highest usage rate. Of your, of your entire career. No, uh, okay, you're coming to Philly this year. I can kind of go in a bunch of, I'm not going to go perfect timeline here. Um, the Embiid experience, being his teammate, what's that like? Um, you know, it, it's actually, it, it's very interesting to say the least. You know, Joel is someone that, you know, obviously has been pegged to be, you know, one of the best players uh, in the NBA. Um, but above all else, he's he's such a normal dude that, you know, only shows that uh, I feel like or, or opens up around people that he trusts. So a lot of people just think he's like, you know, standoffish, you know, to the side, like doesn't really have. But the dude has so much personality and is uh, so funny. Uh, so off the court, it, it's been great. I mean, he's just a joy to be around, funny, outgoing. Uh, but on the court, he's super serious about um, his craft. And, you know, I think the biggest thing that goes you know, misconstrued is people don't think that he works or he looks like he's lazy or people want to say that he's out of shape. But the dude is diligently working all the time and finding ways, whether it's watching film with coaches or even his, um, you know, workout guy, Drew Hanlon. Um, those guys are constantly figuring out ways of how he can maneuver 
around double teams or, you know, evading double teams or how to get guys open shots. Um, so it was a joy to play uh, alongside someone that, you know, literally can score at all three levels from the post, the mid range, and he can make threes. Um, so it was, it was a lot of fun, you know, and um, I'm looking forward to this coming year and hopefully redeeming ourselves going forward. How, uh, how much do you think he cared about the MVP this year? I, I think that meant a lot to him. Well, because like Joe, like Joel, like, so my dad is half African. So I understand like the African or my dad's full African. I'm half African. So I understand like the culture of like respect and what you work for, for that respect. And, you know, obviously Joe has looked at, you know, Kobe or Michael Jordan and seen like when you compare these guys, these are the accolades that they've won for people to respect. And I think Joe wants to be like the best big man to ever play and one of the best players to ever play and he realizes that you know you ain't getting any younger and these are accolades that you need to have that put you in categories because nobody's going to remember your season six years ago they're only remember if you won you know mvp yeah i know during the playoffs when it was officially announced i I thought it was fairly obviously he wasn't going to win and then it kind of turned into hey that game he must have been impacted by this and it became a talking point even brought up on the broadcast i thought physically I couldn't even believe he was he was competing the way he was. I thought he was shot during the Miami series. Yeah, I mean, you know, you break a, a orbital bone and you have a torn ligament in your thumb. I, I think, you know, obviously we we, ro- we rode him pretty hard throughout the whole year to to get to where we were. And uh, you know, I think you're seeing it with a lot of teams. You know, teams running out of gas um, in playoff games. I mean, I know you watched the Boston Miami series. I mean there were times where I was like, holy smokes, like these teams just look exhausted. And then I think back on it, it's like these last three seasons have been combined into like two years, you know? And it's kind of crazy to think about that with COVID and everything that happened, uh, you know, that went on, that we've squeezed three seasons into two. This is the first off season where every it's going to be a normal off season. So guys will be able to recoup their bodies. But I mean, that's not an excuse, but... I think a lot of a lot of people have been worn down uh, this playoffs. In the Miami series, uh, I'm going to ask you this. I'm going to try to be smart about this. I've done this long enough to probably guess how your answers are going to go if I ask you a hardened question. Uh, <laughs> what's what's the best way to be to be fair? Where you're not just going to say, "Well, you're not an idiot." You're not going to say, "Hey, I think Harden should have done this, this, and this better." You're not going to be critical of him. Right. But it's also, I think, fair to assume like he needs to be better. Like he needs to be better, especially if he's going to be the two um, as as a major major piece of what the Sixers are the next few years if it all works out for him contractually. So, what would be the best way to like help us understand the Harden dynamic and where he needs to be, what he needs to be for the Sixers to really be a title contender? Um, you know, that's actually a, a super good question. Uh, I think the biggest thing with James is you know with his hamstring last year and, you know, combining all these seasons together, he's had a lot of mileage on his body, especially when he was in Houston playing all those minutes, getting up and down. And I think it's an adjustment, right? You know, James is playing with centers like Clint Capella, who's rolling to the rim, you know, not an ISO center like Joel or someone that catches on the block. So sometimes James would get caught up, you know, trying to ISO and Joel's posting up. And it's what it really was is, you need chemistry and practice time. And we didn't have a lot of that considering when the trade went down. So there was a, there's a tough blend to find, all right, when are we going to have James, you know, come off and an ISO 
and have the lane open with Joel out there? Or, you know, when are we going to have James be a creator and play make for other guys and with Joel on a pick and roll and different or different things like that or space the floor. So, uh, you know, it, it was a tough dynamic. He's catching a lot of heat from, you know, other people and they're you know, like, he needs to be better. But at the end of the day, when, you know, he has a full summer, you know, to get his legs up under him. And then obviously we have time to practice with training camp. I think it's going to be a lot better. I mean, people are riding off a guy that was, you know, is the top 75 player in the world. Like you can't just say he just ultimately lost it. Like it, there's a lot of different variables that go into that. And I think that people need to give it a, a little bit of time and patience. He got to us in what was it February, March? I, I really can't remember, but it's like you, we barely practiced during the year and we didn't have any time. He started playing games after all-star break. It's, it just wasn't enough time for us to gel um, and grow together in, at the right time. You want to peak in the playoffs, and uh, we certainly didn't do that. My follow-up to that would be, all of that's fair. Look, you're in, you're in it with him every night. Um, I just feel like there's some slippage where I wonder what it's like when you watch film and you just see there's a couple moments there where he doesn't seem like he's engaged as he needs to be, especially when we're talking about a playoff game. Right. And I know, you know, certain guys have kind of enough juice that <laughs> I don't know if it's an accountability thing, although I know Doc well enough to know that he's not afraid to challenge everybody. Uh, I wonder what those moments are like when you feel like one of your leaders is is not as locked in as he needs to be. Right. Um, you know, that that's a good point. And uh, I think all of us have those moments and needless to say, it's, it's frustrating. Like, I mean, you know, like when, when it comes down to a point where you, you turn and it feels like the wheels are falling off and, you know, and, and then something where someone is minimal effort here, there, you know, whether if it's Tyrese, Maxie, James, me, it's, it's frustrating. And I think all of us are frustrated. Uh, I think it got to a point where, you know, we were like, damn, like, is, is this really happening? Did we really just, you know, lose by 30 and then come home and then get blitzed um, by Miami? And that was frustrating, to, to say the least. I'm not going to sit here and tell you like, oh, yeah, we don't look at that. I mean, it, it's, it's frustrating as a whole. But uh, I think at the end of the day, like, the media is going to paint it as like one person. And like I said, James is taking a lot of grief. But we've watched film as a team and seen minimal effort plays by everybody else. But the only problem is, is that the fact that everybody knows James, George Niang gets away with letting Jimmy Butler drive by him. You know what I mean? So it, it really, it really gets underplayed. And the fact that James has been so good and is a superstar, it gets, you know, obviously all over everywhere, but needless to say, when you have plays like that, it, it's frustrating, especially as a group. And, and we're going to address those, you know, from training camp to make sure that, you know, we're in the right spots where we need to be so that we can compete and take games to game sevens or close out series when we need to close out series. Okay, let's talk about the opponent then a little bit. Um, do you agree with me that Kyle Lowry should be banned from the NBA? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, the dude was nursing a hamstring injury. No, no, I'm just talking about the flopping and, and getting every call imaginable. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, I'm not. I'm not talking. I actually respect the hell out of what he brings to helping you win games. I I would never deny that part of it. I just I've laughed about like certain players. Trey would be one of them too. Where I would be like, if I played 
and this would keep happening, I would get so mad. And then when you have it with Lowry, who again wasn't even playing, you know, the the full scope of of the series, uh, I don't know. It it just it would drive me so crazy. So but I just wanted your perspective. The, the on counterpart that. is like we have Joel, so you know what I mean. Like he's good at you know falling, flopping. So I've seen, so this is the first time I played with someone like Joel that can draw fouls and, you know, I mean, bait guys into fouling him. And, you know, when you're up one and, you know, need a bucket and he gets someone to foul him, you're like, oh, this is pretty good to have. But I do understand you because when Kyle Lowry was in Toronto and we were in Utah and we played him like twice a year and the game would be close and he'd drive the ball hard into someone and just fall over and they'd call foul. You'd be like, are you serious? Like, what do the refs say? But by the way, he, that's a better example of it because it happened in the the Boston series when he drove on Smart and did the same thing too. I, and I'm doing this just because you're playing now, and I I I'd love to know how guys feel about it. But what do you? What does the ref say when you go? You knew he was going to do that. Yeah, he'll be like, "You weren't in legal guarding position." Trust me, the refs have plenty of uh, language or dialogue for you that you're like, "Legal? What is legal guarding like?" You know, and. Uh, so I'm almost baited to like do what Kobe did and read the refs, you know, handbook and start using their dialogue back at them because uh, at some points it's just like, what what do you want me to do? I'm standing here and I'm going to hold my ground because that's what you know that's what defenders do. And if I don't hold my ground, he's going to go by me or or bump into me and nudge me off. And if I do, he falls over. So it's a a lose lose. And some of the answers I've gotten, you know, are just you're not he has the legal pathway and da, 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 and it's just like i'm out of breath i'm trying to catch my breath i'm trying to think about what play we're running on offense and at that point i'm just like forget it those guys are going to get those calls but yes it is frustrating to say the least all right he only played in two of the games against you too so i don't want to i people that have been listening to this podcast would be going oh russell is playing the hits here he's asking about harden as a teammate and then he got a lowry dig in there so i'll keep it moving here <laughs> uh you I've heard about you wanting to do this, wanting to do media yeah. stuff. Who do you like that talks hoops? I mean, obviously, you know, uh, you know, obviously the JJ podcast is great. You know, obviously I've followed yours, but I'm not going to toot your horn here. Bill Simmons has some good stuff. Um, my buddy Duncan Robinson does great stuff. CJ McCollum, like, I'm just like infatuated with getting guests on here to like tell stories that I'm like, damn, like, I didn't even know that about them. Do you have guys that you get? I'm not, I don't even may not name names, but I'm always surprised at how much players pay attention to stuff. But then again, I realize like, hey, all of us kind of pay attention. Like, that's just what we do. We can pretend we don't. It sounds cool to say I don't pay attention to stuff, but it does it. Yeah, have you cool. ever had a moment? Right. Do you ever have a moment where you're really bothered by the way somebody's talking about you or your team? Uh, you know, in the moment, like when it happens, it's more like a fuck you. You know what I mean? Where, you know, is there an example? Like, uh, I forget who it was, but someone was like, you know, how do you expect them to win? Like their best player coming off the bench is like George Niang. Like it, I was like, damn, like what the fuck? Like, why the fuck are you knocking me? Like I do my job. I come in there and I don't do like, more to like get in other people's way i do my job and you know what the team needs me to do and you're out there like how, how do you expect them to win they have george like well we also have three max guys and a a young stud and and tyrese maxi like there's only one basketball like what what more would you want me to do but uh 
see it. Look, I'm already, you're bringing up old things and I'm getting pissed off about it. But yeah, I, I, I think there's, I forgot who, forget who said it, but uh, no, there's a, it, people definitely pay attention on podcasts and, uh, and it definitely does irk some people. But then again, like I talked to Danny Green who, who runs a podcast and he's like, you know, I think of it as like, they're allowed to have their own opinion. It may piss me off in the moment, but like, who's to say that's the reality. Do you think people realize you're 40% from three this many years in a row and for your career? No, I, I don't think so. Cause I get like, I mean, I, I think people look at my, my perception as like, I don't look like I'd be an effective basketball player, but the fact that was like, if they were to Google the numbers, the numbers don't lie. So. Yeah. I don't know what it's really weird. We're so visual, right? We're so visual. Like I remember watching Derek white at the combine and I'm like, this guy's a first rounder. And then you watch him play and you got, Hey, this guy does a lot of things really well. Simmons and I have, have the Shamit face theory that if like Shamit looked like Tyrese guys would be like, you know, who can shoot is Landry. And instead he just, I think there's a Niang body theory out there where if you were just, if you looked like Stromile Swift, people would be like, you know, we need to, we need to trade for Niang. But since exactly. you just, you get the thick hips and ass thing, nobody wants to give you any credit, right? It's a Massachusetts thing, man. I, I, I blame uh, the good eats down in the North end for how my body looks. <laughs> no, but that's, that is true because the Derek White thing is like, he has intangibles, right? He's now he's making threes. He can play point guard. He can, he can defend. Yeah. He's big with Georgia. Just like, yeah, he's, he, he can shoot it a little bit. He's thick. What position is he? You know, doesn't look like a player, but maybe he is a player. No, but it's funny too. Like even a regular season game, if it's two teams that maybe don't play each other that much, it'd be like, oh, let's hunt this guy. You're like you just hunted the guy because like they were like, it was a white guy in the perimeter. Oh. You're like, you're like, hey, he's actually a good defensive player. Did you not do any prep on this? And they're like, no, no, switch, switch. You know, you know who actually like helped me out with that when I was in Utah was Joe Ingles. Like, so he's a solid defender. He was, he's been a solid defender. And he's got some size to him and some yeah. fight too. Go ahead. But but he's also like, you know, pick on the white guy. You know what I mean? But he chases around all these guys, like, you know, guarding them. And he was telling me, he was like, if you can time it up to where you're not like a sitting duck. So most guys stand back and give the guy like six feet when it's a mismatch, right? He was like, if you can time it up to go up there and just like pester him, whether if it's just like throw your hands in there or just like throw off his dribble where he was like, then he asked, he actually has to think about, all right, now I have to make a move to get him off me, then try and go by him. And what he taught me was like, if you just like throw flailing your arms around or like trying to chase the ball, like it just throws off their timing enough. He was like, he was like, cause you're slow. And if you can buy a couple seconds by throwing off their timing, you might actually get a stop. So it like kind of helped me improve, but it also has hurt me when like Brad Beal's like up there six feet and I run at Brad Beal to like pressure him and he just takes off and goes by me. So it's kind of helped me out, but Joe Ingles is one that's, you know, taught me because he's always like throwing his hands in there, slapping. He's like, hey, you never know. You may slap the ball or slap his arm and the ref may not call it. So, I mean, he he's helped me. He's kind of been my mentor on the defensive end along with, you know, other things in my career. But you do get stuck with like weird mismatches, you know, like you're not, hey, I'm only defending this type of player. And granted, there's so much switching that goes on anyway. Can you give me an example of of like how your attack is different? you know, with, say, 
you know, getting caught with a Darius, I don't know, you know, off the top of my head, it's not like I know exactly how many times you got matched up at Darius Garland, but that oh. type of player where then you get stuck, you know, where there's not so much post play, but you have to guard a lot of different body types from, sure. from when I've watched you. Well, we'll go from, well, say Cleveland, because you brought it up. Darius Garland compared to like a Kevin Love, right? Where Darius Garland is trying to bait you into dribbling a bunch of times and getting getting to a step back three, you know, going left. Um, so if I were to guard him, I'd try to press up on him and force him to go left and try to finish at the rim going left. I mean, it's not like he can't, but I'm sure the percentages say his efficiency going left finishing aren't as high as if he were to have you five feet off him and shoot a step back. And it's worth more points. Whereas Kevin Love is, you know, trying to do a fall away and I'd be more apt to not let him create space and stay on his, you know, uh, left, left shoulder. Um, But there's so many different things. Like there's, how would I say it? Like uh, I'm trying to think of our scouting reports because I've kind of been checked out of basketball mode for, a couple of weeks here where Anthony Edwards is a heavy drive, heavy drive left guy. So, you know, you bait him into shooting uh, a contested three, but be prepared for his hard drive left, you know, and, and shooting a pull up. Um, who else, who else do we have? Um, what do you do against Boston? What are your rules against Boston? Um, we are, I think Tatum likes, uh, he likes pull-ups going left. So you're going to try to get into his body, force him to go right and finish at the rim. It's tough. And I think it's tougher for him the way he shoots, shooting going right. If you watch, he loves that step back going left. So we were crowd him and, and send him right. Jalen Brown, I think, is, is a heavy, heavy drive right. And you don't want to let him, um, let him get you know, into a rhythm while he's shooting threes, you know, because he can get hot and uh, and that's trouble. I'm trying to think of, uh, yeah, so that that's how we, I think Tatum is, you know, not let him go left. Jason Tatum, you know, no strong drive rights and try to bait him into shooting, or Brown shooting uh, mid-range jumpers. Do your buddies root for the Sixers at all or they're, they're all Celtics, I imagine, right? <laughs> Come on. Come on, man. You know where we come from. These these guys have loyalty to me and and uh, who I'm with. But at the end of the day, they're uh, they're bleeding green. But when they're around me, they don't pull that, that that BS. Did you notice something changing? You know, as as the season went along for the Celtics, like I'd, I'd like to do a couple minutes on the Celtics here because obviously they're playing for a championship. But yeah. uh, the turnaround is unlike anything I've seen from a team in basketball i can't think of anything that i can compare it to did you notice anything specific yeah i mean you watched the first four they were 20 and 21 right yeah january they're below 500 so i mean you watch how everyone was complaining how jason and jalen couldn't play together they you know they take turns iso and going one-on-one not passing and if you watch them now so it was easy to guard, right? You know, they'd start getting into the ISO. If I'm guarding someone close to them, I'm creeping over, creeping over. And then you have two people contesting. Because you knew, right? Like, would you say that coming out of a timeout? Like, hey, it's getting late. It's crunch time. You know yeah. what these guys are going to do. And it's really easy. Exactly. And, you know, so, you know, you're, you're creeping over, creeping over. Then they're having to make a tough contested shot over you, you know, in the last three minutes. Like, they'll probably make two out of, what, eight or nine 
of those, right? I mean, those are tough shots for anybody to make. And if you get hot, you make four and they maybe they win the game. But obviously they were struggling. And I think the biggest thing for them is, you know, Ime Udoka did a great job. He let them play their game, do that. And then at one point he was like, listen, you know, if you guys aren't going to play with the pass, from what it looked from for me, if you guys aren't going to play with the pass, like you're never going to be, you know, what you guys expect to be. And now I look at it and I even went to a game, I think four, it was against the Heat where these guys are getting into a lane and if they're double teamed, they're kicking to someone else who's driving it, then making the defense sink. And then the ball's un- eventually ending up back to them and they're getting a better look where before they were just taking 10 seconds to dribble and that's easy for the defense. Like nobody really has to move. Everybody on offense is out of rhythm. So these guys are really playing with the pass. If you watch closely, like it's impressive how Jalen and Jason and Marcus and all those guys are getting off the ball and letting the ball move and eventually find the right person. Basketball, in basketball, the ball is eventually going to find the right person. Like you see how the Warriors play. It always seems to find Steph as soon as he gets off it or someone gets a backdoor cut or someone overhelps. If you can get ball movement and player movement, and I think that's the biggest thing with the Celtics is they went from no player movement, no ball movement, just ISO basketball with two studs to playing with each other, backdoor cutting, the ball's moving, players are moving. And ultimately, it's tough to guard. It's tough to guard Jalen and Jason um, one-on-one when they're not moving. Imagine when they're coming off a cut or backdooring, it's nearly impossible. So credit to them. They, they've done a great job of really with ball movement and player movement. And it wasn't always there. And it, it's been impressive to see. Are you actually rooting for either team, considering you got cut by the Warriors and then, you know, you're from you're from Mass, but you're in the division? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't really have any ill will. I mean, at, at the end of the day, like if it's close, um, you know, obviously, you know, I'm, I want to see a good game, but there's not one one team that like I care to win. Obviously, it'd be cool to see Boston win, considering that, uh, you know, I'm from here, but it also is like fuck you know they're in our division and that's like that's something that you know i have to live with you know being in philadelphia yeah i don't think you want to be advertising to philly fans that you're like yeah hey, no, the celtics no, get 18 no. that'll be that'll be cool uh give me your best warriors experience story so as you said you'd like the stories on on, on the other pods give me the one because I, I don't know how to ask it specific. I could say, hey, what's it like to play with Steph? What's a Draymond? Yeah, what's yeah. the thing you remember the most of that time with them? Um, so it was it was when uh, they were, there was the old PAX facility in uh, Oakland. So it was right above like the Marriott Hotel. And they have three courts. So like say here is the first court and the second court and the third court. And they always practice on the third court because that's where like the film, the bird's eye view can catch and. It's my first day there and I signed a training camp deal. So it's like me and four other guys that are like guaranteed like 50 grand and are going to get cut and go down to the G league. And it was like already slotted. Right. So, you know, you get there and, you know, Katie walks out and I'm shooting with another guy. I think his name was, uh, Antonius, uh, Cleveland and we're shooting and it's me and him. We're doing like spot shots. And like, all of a sudden, like I'm at the far wall and I can see Kevin, like, Kevin Durant running over to our hoop. And I'm like, what the fuck did I do? Like, did I put my shoes in the wrong place? Like in the locker room? And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of all the endless possibilities. Like, so he sprints over and he was like, uh, yo, what's up? Yo, can I get some shots up with you guys? 
And I was so like fucking taken back by like what he had said. Cause I'm like, can you get some shots with us? Like you fucking just won finals MVP. Like you, are you, you could kick us off the fucking court if you wanted to. And he literally just came in there and like, we went to five and he was shooting on like first to five while we were shooting in mid range and then three. And I was like, that's the most like craziest thing ever. And it made me realize like people like give Kevin Durant, like all this, you know, scrutiny, but like, he's just a normal dude, just like, like everybody else that people are trying to, Kevin, we want you to be the alpha. You have to act like this, but he's just a simple, normal dude that loves to hoop, but like catches all this grief because he, you know, is, is a normal dude and people want him to be something that he's not. But I, th- I thought that was like one of the coolest things ever. I was like, you fucking are asking to shoot with two guys that aren't going to be here in fucking 30 days. Um, when I watched Steph over, over this career, uh, I, I don't want to sound like an idiot here and say, hey, how come more people don't do what Steph does, right? Because no one can do what Steph does. But at the same time, people could try to screen for their teammates. People could try and move and reset and play through the end of the shot clock. Why is it that this style that is so successful, that is such has such buy-in from this group, why is it that nobody else wants to play like that? Well, first off, um, if you look at like character of superstars, right? Guys that are willing to look into the mirror and, you know, I mean, be like, I did that wrong or be coachable. Um, you know, you, Steph, Clay, you know, Draymond, like all those guys, you know, Steph specifically, like I was talking to someone the other day, I was like, they all buy in, they're, they're coachable and they build good culture and they hold themselves accountable. And I think the biggest thing is if you watch Steph, if he's getting double teamed, it's almost like he makes the right play every time. Some guys get double teamed. They're like, I've gotten double teamed four times in a row. Fuck it, I'm going to shoot this. Where Steph, on the other hand, will constantly, the whole game, throw a pocket pass, throw a pocket pass, till you're finally like, all right, I might not double this one. And then he pops off and comes back off a handoff and makes a three. And I think the biggest thing for him is that he's happy for his success and, but also even happier for everyone else's success. Like you see him on the bench, like he's hyper, he's excited for other people's success. And I think that's important in superstars. But then you go back to like the Spurs and you look at Tony Parker, Tim Duncan, like David Robinson, like all those guys were humble and willing to change and willing to put the team first, no matter what accolades didn't matter. And um, I think it all starts with your star players. If your star players are, willing to do things that may hurt them, but help the team, then that's what you have. I don't know what your pick was or what you thought of the finals before, but you know, tell us what you thought maybe before. I don't know how much has changed after the first two games, but where are you at now? Where do you think this goes? Um, I, after game one, I was like the Celtics in six. Um, after game two, I'm like, dang, the Warriors were up big in both games. The first game they tricked off, the second game, they made sure they didn't trick off. Like, how is this going to look? Boston has struggled at home a little bit. Uh, now I'm kind of feeling the Warriors in seven, but I'll stick with my initial gut feeling and say Celtics in six. It's a lot of fun. I know you get the uh, the Big Niang podcast too. Uh, are you going to keep that going during the offseason? 
You know what? I'm going to take a little break from that. But uh, when we get back into it, I'll make sure and the season's going on. I'll, I need to grab you as a guest on this. I'd love to come on, man. Make yeah. sure you, you create some time for me, all right? No problem. Look, I, I know more about you than you probably realize going back to the, the BABC stuff and, and hearing about you over the years. So uh, we'll, we'll catch up, man. So enjoy the offseason. Perfect. Appreciate you for having me on. This episode is brought to you by Honda. Honda is committed to achieving carbon neutrality by 2050. And the Prologue EV is their latest innovation in that journey. The Prologue is all the great things you expect from Honda in an EV. As an SUV, the Prologue comes with class-leading passenger space with intuitive features and clean, thoughtful design. The Prologue is more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Seed. You know, as you're getting a little bit older and you're like, hey, I wonder if I need that supplement. What's going on with that one? Does this one make me feel better or did I just buy it or did somebody suggest it? I'm not really quite sure what the deal is. I'll tell you this, probiotics, the right ones, they work. Did you know that most green powders and probiotics don't survive digestion? Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is engineered in a two-in-one capsule to safeguard viability through digestion for complete delivery to your colon. A broad-spectrum probiotic and prebiotic formulated with 24-hour clinically and scientifically studied strains for whole-body benefits, including gut, heart, and skin health. Visit seed.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. Use the code 25RYAN, R-Y-E-N, that's 25RYAN, to start seeding today. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice, lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. Uh, what's going on, boys? How is everyone? I'm good. Rudy's in LA. That's right. Yeah, man. I think I'm actually seeing Kyle today for the first time ever, which is pretty dope. Wait, why? Uh, what do you mean? Why? Am I supposed to go somewhere? Hanging out? What's going on? Oh, I thought, Am I, going to I, thought I was supposed to be in the office. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll meet you. I follow no, you no, no, no. You're, good. You're uh, good. Okay. Woo. I thought I was supposed to be in the office Got and it. I was going to be in big trouble. No, no, no. I'm still at home. We'll close up shop and I'll uh, I'll potentially get my first frolic room experience. <laughs> Man, you but uh, yeah, your boy is your boy's hanging out. Well, the the irony here too is when I come out to LA for the first time in what like five years, Ryan's Ryan flies back plane. to the East Coast. <laughs> yeah. So good times. Uh, well, yeah. I love the part where Kyle got freaked out about not knowing the schedule, but hell, that happens to me sometimes too, you know, like I'll get a phone call and go, wait, what? The good thing now is I'm never supposed to be anywhere. It's just, I'm, I might, I'm supposed to be on call a lot, but it's different now because, you know, whatever. All right. Uh, first one here. Not sure it's real. We didn't run it through the Google machine or, or not. It's a great way to start. We'll just, we'll just, we'll just go with it. Yeah. Because it's a good one. It's, it's unique. Not sure it's true, but. We, uh, we hope it is. All right. Long time listener from Canada. Quick shout out to Kyle. He is my guy. You were the heart and soul of one shining pod. Oh, shucks. Yeah. How about <laughs> that? Great start. You'd hate to think it was fake if the guy liked one shining pod that much. Yeah. 30, 31 year old male engaged, uh, physical measurements, not the best, but on a journey. Six one currently weigh one ninety five. bench 225 deadlift squat. Cool. However, at the start of COVID, I was at my peak of 600, oh, wait, 600 pounds would have been a lot, 263. So couldn't walk up a flight of stairs without losing my breath. Uh, I joined my first men's basketball league. Uh, That's great. 
I'll tell you right now, if you're 31, you're going to be so mad if you don't, like if you turn 41 and decide to start getting in great shape, you're going to be really mad that you didn't do it earlier because I would give anything to have a 31-year-old body and be able to play basketball in it for a day. Uh, <laughs> and be like, hey, do you guys want to run it? Run it back. Let's go. All right. Before he gets to his current issue here, this one feels long and I'm not doing it any favors. I'm taking forever. Some context. Uh, it'll sound like boasting, but I'll keep it short. Grew up a poor immigrant, worked hard, got a scholarship at the University of... Well, does he want me to say where this is? Is it going to be that hard to figure out? Uh, we'll go with it. University kind of, of Toronto. We talking? University oh, okay. of Toronto. I don't know. I mean... It's a big it's, school. It's a big school. So Srudi says we're good so. to go. I don't know. It's a big city. Uh, <laughs> wait until we... This could be. Wait until we tell the rest of the story. I don't know. This is going to be that hard to figure this out <laughs> if it's real. Uh, went to computer science, dropped out my second semester to join a startup. Startup got bought out. I made $3.5 million at 24, 24 years old. Friends knew all about this. Happened to uh, be in Boston in 2015. Went to a Bitcoin developer conference. Made the best investment decision of my life. Took a few more risks. Got very lucky. And now I'm worth about $65 million Canadian. All right. Friends don't know about this additional wealth. Well, you might now. How, how? Um, <laughs> as I live an average life, <laughs> average house, drive a Volvo, don't like to talk about my money, don't spend much of it, beyond going to a few F1 races and a couple family trips a year, I have a good life and I'm really content. The situation, one of my closest friends from middle school, let's call him Chris, is having money problems. His catering business took a big hit during COVID. He did a lot of silly things, amongst which he took multiple loans out against his house. I'll mention that Chris and his wife, Emma, have a, uh, they have, let's just say they have two kids. Oh, and number three is on the way. Over COVID, we chatted every now and then. In December 2020, during one of those calls, Chris asked to borrow 10K to make sure to make sure Christmas was still the same. That's a quote there. Chris, that Christmas was still the same. 10K, huh? 10K? I'm starting to wonder if wow. that's real now. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Because that's that's an important, I think that's a really important detail in this. Uh, I gave it to him. We never spoke about it again. Chris had mentioned that the uh, business was hard, but when I offered to help multiple times, he said it wasn't that bad. Then last week we met up while I was visiting our home and Chris told me he was going to lose his house. I told him I could help out, but he just kept saying it's way beyond anything his friends could afford. Chris was making a good living, but did have a taste for nice things when COVID hit. And after uh, almost two years of little income, he is now facing bankruptcy. Chris and I sat outside for a couple hours talking about the situation. And he never gave too many details. The day after I got back from the trip, I gave his wife a call. I knew she would talk to me if Chris wasn't around. She gave me all the details. And they said they needed 300000 to keep the house. Wow. Um, the wife also mentioned uh, that they asked the richest person they knew, her cousin, uh, but could only he could only give them a $25,000 loan. I tried to bring up the idea of me giving them money, but she said, no chance. We can't ask you to take on such a huge amount. And Chris told me that all the money you uh, told us about the money you already gave us. Granted, 300K is a lot of money, but I can afford it. And he's my closest friend. How do I bring it up or do I just drop it? I'm not that aggressive of a guy. Um, Chris is much tougher and stubborn, but he always had my back growing up. I don't expect to get paid back, but this would be a gift for a friend. Appreciate if you give me your thoughts and advice. Interested if you hear has money has come up in any of your friendships in this way. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, look, um, follow the numbers, check out. You're worth a lot of money at a very young age, which is awesome. Good for you, man. A couple things. Um, if he took 10K to make Christmas to the standard that they're used to having Christmas at, he's going to take your 300,000. All right. 
Like anybody that's broke and then goes, I just got to make sure that Christmas is still the same. And you said yourself, like, it's one thing to take out the loans to keep the business going during COVID, right? A lot of people had a really hard time. They had to make financial decisions that they didn't want to norm, would never normally made. And for some people, it, it helped stem the tide. And for others, it's going to lead to all sorts of pain. And that sucks. All right. Um, so I'm not ripping on your buddy here for making back, like, I don't know the full details of it. And you're trying to, you're trying to keep, keep the money coming in. Right. But if you say he likes nice things, then he's probably made some stupid decisions also to put himself in this situation. Uh, but that's not really for me to judge because I'm not giving him the money. You're here potentially want to give him the money and apparently you don't care about any of those things. So it's just fine. I'm not saying that you should, but it sounds like uh, it's a combination of both things he couldn't control and things that he could control, but he didn't want to change his lifestyle whatsoever when every indicator said that he needed to. So if you really want to give him this money, again, you could say it's a loan, but it sounds like he just pocketed the 10 grand for awesome, awesome Christmas. And you said you've never talked about it again. <laughs> He's going to take your money. He just doesn't, maybe he doesn't realize you're this close to him and he doesn't know anything about the Bitcoin deal. You never told anybody. Like he may know about the software thing that you did earlier when you dropped out of school. But even then, if you make a couple mil on that buyout, after taxes and everything else, to give your friend 300 grand that's clear of all that stuff is still a massive chunk of what you would have made, but clearly not as much of the Bitcoin number is real. So if your goal is that you just want to give your friend 300 grand, which is incredible, um, this guy's going to take it. And I would just be that direct. If that's what you want, go ahead and do it. Um, but I don't know, man, that's a, Maybe you're going to be set for life. Obviously, anybody that would have that much money clear, you would hope you would like their chances to be able to keep investing and be fine. Um, of course you would. But I, I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't know. I, th I think some people would have twice as much money as that. And they still, you know, they still would never do anything like that just for a friend. They might not even do it for a family member. Um, but it sounds like you have a big heart. and You want to do this. So I would just be super direct because the Christmas thing alone tells me he's taking your money. <laughs> yeah, that's. I want like an itemized receipt of that of that 10k though. Like what did, what was in there? <laughs> like how many Xbox and PS5s did this guy buy? Like I don't even I don't even know how I would spend 10k on a Christmas for kids. I mean, I guess you could if you're rich, but I'm. I was never like that in my house, so I don't know. I'd want an itemized receipt. <laughs> but they're like Christmas in Hawaii people. Just didn't want to. Well, yeah, then maybe there's travel. They need to call. They need to keep the streak going. I don't know. Yeah, I'd be like, oh, we, Prague is just so great this time of year. And yeah, because 10,000 for, for like, what did you get yourself, man? Yeah. You know what I mean? He's like, oh, I got myself one of those date just, just the 40 millimeter. But, uh, you know, it's a Rolex joke. Uh, I don't know what else is there to add to this. I've never been in a position to give money. Some of my friends thought I was because like I work for Spotify <laughs> and I, I work for the ringer. And I was like, guys, I got to tell you. There's really nothing. Um, so I got I got nothing to say. Uh, I I'm I'm way out of my league. Thanks for listening to One Shiny Podcast, buddy. I hope this is real. Hope you're not lying about having millions and millions of dollars. But if you are, I, it worked. <laughs> I do think it's real. It's kind of it's almost too specific to not be. But um, and I'm also in college mission. I've, I've never been in a position to give someone a significant amount of money. I will say this: 
Um, I think if I was in your spot, I would probably give him the money. But it's also I kind of view this the same way that I view like the student loan debt crisis situation where it's like, yeah, of course, like I want to help people out and give people money, too. But also, can we like figure out the root of the problem, which is like these colleges are fucking absurd and like the tuition's insane. Your buddy's probably going to ask you for money again at some point. And like this is just going to be a reoccurring situation. And, you know, if 10K wasn't the line and 300K isn't the line either, like he's just like these kind of people. And it's just, you know, it's, it's part of like, you know, like it's not being good with money and that kind of lifestyle is like you kind of keep taking and taking and taking. So this probably isn't going to be the last time you do this. And it's probably going to be for more the next time this happens. So that's all the, the only thing I think if I were you, I would try to figure out the root of the problem and I would try to help him out, but also be like, hey, man, like we got to figure your shit out. You got to stop with the risky investing stuff. And I know, you know, it's hard to invest into someone else and like be in their finances and tell them what to do. But otherwise, I just don't see an end here for you're just going to be donating money to your friend for the rest of his life. <laughs> I mean, you could not tell him about all the other stuff and say that you could work out a loan for them. I mean, if that one makes you feel better, but. I don't know if he's going to pay that back either, but it could maybe shield you from, because if he thinks you have 65 million on you, if that's what you're telling us, uh, you know, does, does 300 grand get him square or is 300 grand like, okay, we're, we're at zero now. Yeah, we're I'm not, not going to lose bankrupt, the house. Yes. But now I'm, now I'm still fucked and you're still, I don't know. Does it change anyone's mind that 300 K, uh, Canadian is, is 239,000. American. No. It up. You're like, you know what? Up. You know what? It's only 239. Yeah. I thought it would be less American, but I still, I didn't think it was that bad. So yeah, it doesn't really change much for me. Yeah. Currency rate as of today. <laughs> you never know what you're uh, going to get on a live device. Yeah. I got 0. 0.8, right? 0. 0.8. 0. 0.8. Yeah. 0.8. We need Where's to the have some, these days. Yeah. We need some currency guys that start coming on. Just talking, talking currency. Life advice. I'm reading Euro that book one, about... 1.07, uh, for anyone wondering. Okay, good stuff. All right. Still beating us, huh? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Do people listen to that and go... I feel like that... I think that email is going to bum people out in a way that normally an email wouldn't bum someone out. You know what I mean? Um, I think it might piss some people off to be like, why are you giving this guy your money? Like, he needs to figure his shit out. That's... I don't know. Like, I get it. I would... I would probably, if one of my buddies was in the same situation and I had the means to do it, I, I, I know I would do it. And I'm not saying I'm a good person. I'm just saying I know I would do it because it's just, if I can, I would. But this is going to be a long-term problem. <laughs> this is, I'm worried about it. Yeah, th that's the thing is like, you could love your buddy. Like he's your number one core dude. He's the best. Um, but if you were like, I'm just giving you this money and it doesn't solve anything. I mean, if he keeps him in the house with the kids, another one on the way then that is solving something. So I, I'm not trying to be dismissive of that. But, you know, if you're in a position to be giving people money, which is great uh, if you want to help your friends and family, but there's also a part of it too where you go, am I, am I solving anything though? Or is it just raising their lifestyle for a very like specific period of time that expires? Like yeah, remember when you lent me 300 grand? <laughs> yeah, right. And he's, you know... <laughs> Guys in South Africa, three months later. Like, hey, like, man, think, yeah, thinking about taking another trip this fall. Yeah, it's, it's, feeling, time's been so feeling, rough. Feeling generous? We needed this break. I think we covered it. All right, let's get back to yeah. what we do well here. Uh, not $300,000 personal loans. Jim Nudity. I thought this was going to be straight up about old guys being nude. What else would it be younger about? Guys, 
Well, it's a little different, <laughs> a little different than what I thought it would be. Cause I just, like I've said numerous times, I think there's a lot of people, I think there's a meeting, you turn 70 and they go, whatever you do, never cover your stuff up. Just always have like the tax on younger guys being in shape and looking at us as old men. Cause I know what I'm going to do if I'm at the gym at 70 and I'm going to look at some young ripped Jack guy who thinks he's cool. I'm going to be like fucking dick. Yeah. Um, and so what you natural? do is, yeah, right. I mean, it's just science. <laughs> and so part of that is when these 70 year olds have this meeting, they just go never cover yourself ever. And then bare ass sit on everything yes. <laughs> yes. all the time. <laughs> yeah. But don't that's, push. A, that's, I think a, like, I don't think when like Kyle and I are 70, that that's going to be a thing. I think that's a boomer thing. Like, I don't think that's a millennial Gen Z thing. Maybe I'm wrong. I, uh, I think those dudes are just way more comfortable with like, you know, even like looking back at like movies from 20, 30 years ago or whatever, like high school locker rooms were way different than they yeah. are now. In like, middle school, I was like, wait, what am I supposed to do? Yeah, yeah, come on. And we're just a different breed. I think anyone, anyone 30 or over, there's no way that's happening when we're 70. I caught a guy next to me watching a little Stranger Things, did a little shoulder watching on the plane. And I watched one of the basketball scenes. In what, what's going on there? Not great. Yeah, not great. I haven't watched the show. I know it's I know it's terrific. It's just I tried it a couple it times and I'm not I need to kind of start over and give it another shot here, but I still feel like there is a massive it's a seven-figure deal to have like the point man for all television <laughs> and film to show up and be like, "What are you doing with this sports scene?" Like I saw a cut just cuz I was again shoulder watching the scene in Stranger Things, I, is this the new season? I think it is. Already? Yeah, and season four. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Right. The guy was working him in the post for a half an hour. <laughs> like, and it was the same <laughs> possession. Well, like, it was the 80s, so. <laughs> no. <laughs> great call. <laughs> great call. Mark Jackson of, yeah. was watching him in the post going, yeah. man, this guy the, announces the high his school presence. talent level perimeter players wasn't, wasn't super great in uh, Indiana in the 80s. All right. Fair. Totally fair. Okay. I will all say, right. though, to, to, to your point really quick, though, you ever you know that video of that guy who's, I think the movie was that one off where he was like throwing a football and he got, and everyone's like, this guy, this is the worst football throw I've ever seen. And the actor got so mad because he claimed that the camera was like two feet away from yes. him. Yes. Yeah. That's why commercial. he was throwing with this like weird motion. And yeah. you're like, no, dude, there's no way I would go. If I was remotely an athlete, it's a terrible excuse. There's no way I would be on camera throwing a football like that. I'm sorry. Yeah, that guy got really mad because everybody. It was one of the worst throws of a ball we've ever seen. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was. It wasn't it was a, like, like an insurance sling. thing or something, or check your credit or whatever. One of those deals. No, I think it was the. It was a movie. I think it was called The Duff. Oh, okay. Wait a minute, because there was another ad where a guy went crazy about it too. I thought so. Uh, I I ruined your story by combining it with a different Either story. Way, too many bad throws. Right. Too many bad throws. Okay, so here's the deal with this guy's gym. A few weeks ago, this guy's five nine one fifty one seventy five bench fifteen pull ups. All right. This is important, actually. This is important this time. A few weeks ago, I was at my gym and a few guys, uh, they look college age, started working out shirtless. <laughs> so not 75 to 78-year-old genitalia. College dudes taking their shirts off. It was late night and basically no one else is in the gym, so I didn't think much of it. And you're asking questions, how does this happen? He answers them, don't worry, because I actually belonged to a gym like this when we were in college. Ironworks, shout out. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing, didn't lift much. 
However, uh, these guys started a trend. At my last gym visit during a much busier time, there were nearly 10 guys in various stages of undress working out and periodically posing for selfies in the mirror. In my book, this is a clear D-bag move. It's just awkward for anyone else in the gym, especially females, per my wife's perspective. Not to mention, it's a small gym, two squat racks, a couple free benches near the dumbbells. Uh, so we're going to be sharing equipment they just use while all sweaty and shirtless. What's my move here? Why is this happening? Again, his answer. Members have 24 act. 24-hour access via a key fob, so staff is often not on site to enforce the universal shirts and shoes policy. Mm. Do I say something directly to them? Do I email gym management or just let it slide? And if it really bothers someone else, that person can speak up. Alternatively, next time I could dramatically rip off my shirt, ask to join their workout circuit, or maybe I'm overreacting. This is perfectly normal. What's various what's the stages? Problem? What's yeah, various what's... stages of undress? Guys really only get one thing, right? Is he talking about shoes? Like you only get one thing that you can kind of take off, and that's your shirt if you must, right? What is various? Well, a lot stages? of barefoot squatting, oh. barefoot squatting, okay. deadlifts right. and stuff. But I don't think that's one what he's natural. talking about. Seems like a lot. I think we're talking. I think we're talking shirts off, maybe some five inch inseam legends okay, shorts. Got it. Mm. Just a lot of like a lot of last, Definitely. When I was on a. Pl- plain and i wore the legends as much as i i love the gear i was like, maybe like, i don't need to go this i don't have to go this much thigh on a plane next to somebody so i've just literally what happened to me in my flight to la i was wearing the legend shorts and uh there was a i don't know it was they're the seven inch inseam too they're not even like the really really short ones and there was a lot of thigh from your boy and i have skinny ass legs so it's not even that impressive it's kind of weird actually so you had to put the great. tray down <laughs> I think I but did, they're so comfortable. <laughs> put a they're sweatshirt so on my lap. <laughs> FDR style. I I love, by the way, really quickly the idea of this group of guys just deciding, like, hey, you guys want to work out without our shirts today? Like, this is the day we start doing that. That's inc- I just want to be a fly on the wall for that conversation, that debate. Like, yeah, today's the day. Next Monday is no shirts, no shirts gym day. Okay, to be honest, do I wish this was allowed? Sure. <laughs> but it isn't. Um, and I can just tell you, like, we can, we can make this one actually really quick. We won't, but I'll make it quick and then we'll, we'll go longer. If it's 10 college age guys taking their shirts off, working out together and taking pictures of themselves in between the whole thing and sweating all over the place and other guys being like, this is awesome. Let's also take our shirts off. Not one of these guys is going to listen to a fucking word you say. (laughs) That's fair. So you could say something, you know, you could, I'm confrontational. Hey guys, seriously, you could do that. And you're right. You would be right. It sucks. Your wife, sweaty bench sucks. They're not going to listen to anything you say. So it's a complete waste of your time. Do we think these guys are like meatheads or more like your Brad Chad type? College gym, right? Probably not meatheads then. I was leaning Brad Chad type. It seems like they're young. It seems like they're pretty young. Yeah. Based on this. You know what you could do? Yeah. You could put on so much cologne <laughs> and just ask just ask to work in. And so it's gonna suck. You're gonna get their sweat on your shirt, but you're gonna stink so bad. Like go something real old school, late eighties polo. That's like the first the first scent that my generation was like, you don't have polo. <laughs> do your parents hate you? What's going on? <laughs> um, that's what I think you could do just to be like, all right, you guys want to sweat all over the place. I'm going to, I'm going to go junior high cologne on you hard and reek and then superset it around and just, I don't know if you have that in you to want to do it. I'm just telling you, like, 
you really want to get something done, you could email the place. But to confront them, these guys, they're not of a species yet to understand people not vibing with them. You know, yeah. I had a phase like that too. I didn't do this, but there was just a phase where you have as a guy, especially if you're a dick, where you just are like, why would anyone be upset by anything I'm doing? <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, well, actually, there's a lot of things you do people don't like. And you're like, oh, what? And you just, you can't even process how much you suck. And these guys are in that phase. Yeah. And I was thinking, I was thinking if this is a college gym, like it's probably students that are, that are running it. So even if you did email and try to do the nice thing, like they'd still have to find a student who's like, yeah, sure. I've got no problem being, being here in the weird hours that these guys are doing this. Like, like even the, even the trying to go the right way. It's like most of the people that work in those gyms are students, right? That are, that are doing some sort of part-time work. So I don't think it would even work if you try to do anything. But good luck. <laughs> you join another gym too. You do that. But probably your best bet. Yeah. All right. That's life advice. Thanks for listening. <laughs> uh, we'll be back on Thursday. We are stacked on Thursday. Uh, we're going to have David Griffin, Pelicans GM, and we'll talk a little, little finance with David Faber of CNBC, who I absolutely love on television there. So this is, this is somebody I want to have on for a long time and he's going to jump on and I'm going to ask him, um, you know, with my basic understanding of any of this stuff, we'll, we'll see what he has to say about things that are going on. And I also just think he's terrific at television too. So I want to talk to him about his job. Uh, so please subscribe. Ryan Russell podcast. Thanks to Kyle and Steve as always ringer and Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.